It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Screen Heroes, your film podcast on the Heroes Podcast Network. I am your host, Derek, and I have with me my two regular, lovely, longtime hosts, Ryan. Hi. And Ray. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 224 of the show as we get closer to our five-year anniversary of the series, which is pretty exciting. So obviously a lot going on, a lot going on tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday. It is election day. So, you know, we're trying to distract a bit from all of the stress of the real world. And we'll be talking about 1996's The Rock. We decided to talk about this kind of in, in honor of the passing of Sean Connery at the age of, of 90 a few days ago. It's a Michael Bay film starring Sean Connery, Nick Cage, and Ed Harris, among some other fan favorites. So we'll be talking about that after the break. But first, our news segment. Lots of news to talk about, but most of it is kind of in the DC realm. It turns out that was not intentional or anything, but we'll start with just kind of a fun, like dream project thing. And it's because I think Ryan wants to talk maybe a little bit about it, but it has to do with the original Ninja Turtles movie. Mm -hmm. no, no visual response from Ryan, but the director, Steve, uh, Steve Barron has talked a little bit about how he wishes he could make a sequel to the original and kind of, you know, the, the way a lot of franchises have revived themselves recently, you had Bill and Ted face the music. We're getting Ghostbusters Afterlife next year. You've had a few franchises like Terminator erase other sequels. Um, and it sounds like, you know, he would love to do that. Ryan, what are your thoughts? And, and not only that, he also has already talked to Brian Henson about it in Henson Studios. So, um, you know, the fact that it wasn't just like, he wants to do it like he's actually there's actually been conversations about it so that's cool but uh he kept using the word reboot in these quotes which i thought was weird because he clearly doesn't want to reboot he wants a sequel to the original movies i kind of hope that if he does that then they cut out the third one and that just <laughs> never happened but uh, uh yeah i mean it would be awesome we i think most 30 somethings at this point have very fond memories of that movie at least the first one. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it on here. It still holds up pretty well, especially considering it was a comic book movie, you know, from that time period. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. We talked about it actually back in March for the 30th anniversary of the original film. So you can check out that episode. Ray, do you have any thoughts? Do you want to see a direct sequel to the first two ish live action into turtle oh, movies <laughs> yeah it'd be a lot of fun those movies were a ton of fun and for the most part they hold up it's not just like nostalgic glasses they're still really entertaining they 
are what they are and I adore that you know it's not just me re-watching them going back and being like Ugh, what was I thinking as a child it, it's seriously me looking back and being like yeah this is great this is fun so I would love that I think it would be just a blast to see puppetry again and the foam suits characters that are just all over the place and kind of broaden their world uh, a bit I know the movies just kind of barely touched the tip of what the tv show and comic books have done so I would be down for it and on top of that, there was a comic book series that just came out that's very cool. If they want it, you know, gritty, re, gritty reimaginings of these things are like the the big popular thing right now. But there's a storyline called The Last Ronin, which is basically where uh, three of the four turtles have been killed. And the one brother that's left uses all the weapons of his fallen brothers uh, to try and get revenge for uh, the death of his uh, brothers and something like that would tra translate really well into the gritty reboot or gritty uh, sequel kind of landscape that we have in movies right now. Um, I don't know that the world is ready for that dark of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles storyline, but man, <laughs> I, th I think the 30-somethings would come out for that for sure. I think uh, they could easily make that a animated oh, I'd love uh, that. show. Uh, something like the DC... Uh, was doing work. yeah exactly yeah, that'd be awesome. they could definitely pull that off some of their weirder stories some of their uh scarier or more intense stories definitely yeah i don't uh, think they'd take that chance in live action oh uh, no man, that would no, be awesome no. get henson I mean, involved in something that dark jeez i don't sweet. know the, the new dark crystal age of resistance was pretty dark and i mean the, the first film is also dark in a lot of parts i mean if anything it's only held back because of some of the technological restraints at the time that they wouldn't have anymore you know so yeah I don't, I don't know i mean it doesn't have to be rated r necessarily i think it could be like a a hard thir pg-13 you know we've seen some of the the more modern blockbusters hit you know pretty hard on pg-13 i think they could pull it off yeah it's not like they need nudity or like a ton of cursing it would be right. mostly just violence i would think right yeah, and exactly. it would give them a chance to really show off some various martial arts which that's it i don't see a reason why the turtles need to be just experts in one martial arts i think they would be experts in quite a few especially nowadays where MMA is the big thing and combining mm -hmm. multiple different martial arts styles to be the best of all of these things, you know? Um, yep. Yeah, that would be, banking on that popularity would be cool. Now, here's a question. You know, we all love what the original Turtles looked like, the practical suits and everything, but would you be up for a mocap situation if it looked as good as like War for Planet of the Apes? No. Really? Yeah. Not, even Not if it's a continuation of the original? No. Absolutely okay. not. It would be like if they said we're gonna do CGI Dark Crystal. I mean, the original. That's fair. The, much of the character was from the characters uh, being practical, you know. So. Well, what, what if it was just a, a one-off Ronin story? But done? I'd still go see it. Like I'm being a jerk, but I would go see it for <laughs> sure. Still, even with mocap, I would just be less happy with it. Gotcha. Okay. Ray, any opinion there? I don't see a huge problem with that, to be completely honest. Uh, there's pros and cons of each. The uh, biggest pro to doing mocap would mean getting to see more intense martial arts. Because obviously with a big foam suit on, you're a bit limited. So that, that would be really the only benefit I could, or the huge one up, the only reason why I would say, yeah, do it. But if they're not going years to... of costume building technology since then, though, I mean, look now Batman can turn his head. <laughs> In so if thirty Batman can years, turn his head, yeah, Batman then can the turn turtles his head. can do martial arts, right? Yes, exactly. Oof. Sorry for interrupting, Rachel. No, you're fine. It's you know, it's what you guys do. You're used to it, <laughs> right? Ouch. Anything more on the Ninja Turtles? Uh, no.
So more about the Ray Fisher Warner Brothers Justice League situation has come to life. And man, things are complicated and messy in this. So now, first off, a spokesperson for Whedon has come out and I'm paraphrasing, basically said that the allegations are false. Um, I want to hit on that because it's not John. It's not, excuse me, Whedon who's saying it. It's a spokesperson who's saying it. And Fisher is really put himself out there and I, I can appreciate the position that he's in. Um, but probably most importantly, something that's kind of come to light is some aspects of Whedon's justice league cut that sh- I, I mean, I guess should have been obvious to us that I, I never personally noticed. And it has to do with really from the cut material and the, the reshoots, a lot of the stuff that was removed focused on actors who are people of color and those were the roles that were either eliminated completely or severely reduced. Um, and this even includes Ray Fisher's cyborg story where he says only one real shot, like 30 seconds on the rooftop is from the original version of the film. And even at, at uh, one of the actors skin tone was lightened up and changed in post guys, I'm sure you have strong opinions about this whole situation. And I've been talking a lot. So somebody jump in. <laughs> uh, no, you're good. So I think the more stuff that comes out about the Justice League set with Whedon, the more accurate it is. Uh, Fisher has had multiple people kind of corroborate his stories that seem just a bit more uh I guess reliable than Whedon, but it's still a he said, she said situation, unfortunately. And I think uh, only, only time's going to tell, but the biggest, uh, I guess the biggest sign is that Whedon's not speaking for himself. He's ducking around letting, WB personal assistants or spokespeople speak for him. So that to me screams guilt of at least some percentage. Yeah, I mean it the the thing about it is the color the color changing of the skin. If it was like making a black person white, that's fucked up, man. I mean, it's, there's no way around that, but I mean, there is a lot of stuff that they they do in post that you know different lighting and different shots and things like that and i'm worried that he's just going out and saying this without really knowing what happened because that when he when it was in the article before they deleted it it said that he heard from someone that we did this and so you know yeah it's i mean i don't know if that if if purely how he said it is what happened then, then that's probably pretty messed up but it's one of those things where I'm like 85% with uh, Fisher and like 15% of me is like, I don't know. Like there's a lot of stuff that seems fishy from his side too, that, you know, is more like he's just complaining because he didn't get enough screen time or something like that. But, you know, yeah, cutting out black actor or uh, actors of color uh, is totally messed up and it's not something that I noticed either when we've talked about this in the past. So mm-hmm. um, that was definitely something interesting that came from this. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a difficult situation because I, I absolutely believe that some stuff happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much stuff happened and, you know, Whedon having a spokesperson speak for him is a complicated situation, right? Because it kind of gives that air of he's being protective because he's he did something wrong but that doesn't necessarily mean that it might also mean that he's being protective because he doesn't want to accidentally say the wrong thing and incriminate himself when that's not what happened or the right? Warner brothers is saying shut your damn mouth sure. and this right. is what's going to happen so you know, it people get heated and people can say things that are taken out of context or are in the heat of the moment that may not reflect the actual events that occurred right and so I, it's a difficult situation it's not apples to apples and it it makes it seem unfair because it seems like Wheaton has all this help and protection and fisher's like out out on a ledge somewhere by himself um and then there's the color correction thing right like 
Whedon didn't necessarily oversee all of that. There are people whose job it is to do those things on large scale blockbusters like this. And he may have not studied it to that level, right? Like Snyder stuff is all colorized in different ways too, but he takes an incredible hands-on approach to every film he's ever done. So I believe that there isn't a single shot in a Snyder film that he didn't personally approve every change to. I don't know. Also, there's also the fact that I think that the article said that they, that Snyder was shooting on film, whereas Whedon was shooting digital. And Correct. so there's definitely has to be color correction between the two of those to make them work too. So yeah, there's a lot of things that could have gone into that. And it makes it tough to judge that comment, you know? Agreed. Whedon is notoriously uh, a little lazy when it comes to his editing too. It, there are, if you look at Serenity and Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, there are numerous little mistakes that he ignores and that could be fixed in, in post. So, um, like the I think, pieces? yeah, <laughs> oh, I mean the, the one that stands out every time for me and now it just makes me angry is all the punching bags that Cap goes through, like back and forth. Some have duct tape and some don't. And every time I just stare at it now and I'm like, stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> fair, that's fair, yeah. So I, mean, I think the moral of the story here is it's a very difficult situation. And I think something definitely happened, but I don't know what, and I don't know whose fault those things are if they did happen necessarily. So Fisher is still out there. He's trying to get his side of things heard and we're going to have to continue to wait and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well, moving on in the DC realm, we got a bunch of more information about the upcoming HBO max green lantern series, which I'm still not convinced is going to exist, but Hey, we'll, we'll see. So we had already talked about how they're going to have Guy Gardner, Alan Scott, Jessica Cruz, and Simon Boz. And we mentioned a little bit about how some of that's confusing because Alan Scott is from a totally different time period and a different version of, of the Green Lanterns. And, and that is an interesting situation. Well, it turns out that it's actually probably more simple than we thought. The series is going to exist in multiple time periods. Uh, oh, one the of the Witcher. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, one of which is the forties, which lines up with Alan Scott's time period. The eighties supposedly will focus on Guy Gardner, which means I'm assuming what they're going to consider present day will focus on Jessica Cruz and Simon Boz, which works out pretty well for me as a Green Lantern comic book fan, because that kind of shakes out to when those different lanterns were focused on earth. So I'm cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds just fine, splitting it. I hope they do a bit better of telling the story than what The Witcher did. I know a lot of people, uh, even people who knew the story ahead of time, were having trouble following that. So if they can find a way to cut it better, then yeah, that works for me. I think I think it'll be easier with this because uh, the problem with The Witcher was that everything looked like old medieval stuff you know, no matter what time period it was. Whereas this in the forties, the fashion was, was much different than it was in the eighties and it was in the, you know, newer time period. So I think it'll make it much easier to differentiate, you know, the cars, basically everything looks different. So mm -hmm. um, hopefully if it's not all in outer space, I mean, I guess we don't know. Um, right. But if, if it's all, all in outer space, that could still be a problem, but <laughs> we'll see, I guess. I'm hoping that it doesn't all take place in outer space. I'd like to see something a little more grounded. Yeah, I'm with you, though. I mean, it, it, anything that takes place on Earth should be pretty clear. And I, I mean, just from my perspective, it's not that hard to throw tiny little title things on the screen. That it's say, really not. You yeah. Know, Kansas City, <laughs> Missouri, so 1995, like whatever, you know, like it doesn't ruin the show for anybody to do that. And me for so I, I watched the first season of The Witcher. I have not played the games. I have not read the books. I was really confused about when certain things are happening from time to time because it's not clear that there are different time periods, especially early on. We and have then, multiple characters that don't age, so that makes it way harder too. Yep, exactly. So that was very confusing to me, and I had to like ask Ray, like, wait, wait a minute, when is this happening? 
Like, just throw a I year up I eventually you know? had to draw him a timeline. <laughs> or, you know, like, at least, like, make up some ages, right? And there's three ages, and this is when they... That way you don't have to give me an exact date. I get it if you don't want to, you know, pigeonhole yourself like that. I understand, because then people will complain that, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming doesn't line up with the rest of the MCU. I like get you. it. Yeah. <laughs> we still remember that, Derek. I know. I know. It's funny. Uh, another aspect to the Green Lantern show yeah, that's that what I was thinking, Rachel. It's is not that funny. Is very interesting. Look, do you want to go there? <laughs> no, just continue, please. For I was trying to. I was trying to. So there are reports that the main character of the Green Lantern series might be a half human, half alien, black woman, Green Lantern which is very interesting because that could be the character from a series called Far Sector, which is a relatively new look at Green Lantern. It's pretty different from the previous Green Lantern series. And so it's very interesting that they may be trying to hit like the entire timeline of Green Lanterns in one show. Um, Mm -hmm. On one hand, it's a super cool prospect and very exciting to think about. On the other, that's incredibly ambitious for a property they have not successfully adapted to live action yet with a controversially mixed review, not so great movie and a completely canceled other movie. Um, So I don't know. I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic at this point. That's all you can do. It's still really early. I mean... It is. You're right. So a lot of this news is to be taken with a grain of salt. You know, there's questionable sources reporting some of it, and you know, we're we're grasping at whatever we can because we're all excited for it. But uh, yeah, it's important to keep in mind that it's still really early on in the development process. So anything that we hear now could change easily. Yeah, absolutely. I think really at this point, all I want to know is where is Hal and John. There's no way in this world they don't exist when everybody else does. Where's the sentient math equation? (laughs) I don't care if they're not the focus. I just want to know where they are. Well, I mean, one thing they could do to keep them out of the way, you know, Hal runs the core. He's core leader in the comics at certain times. They could just keep him on Oa, right? And then he's kind of kept out of the way. John's a harder one to kind of pin down. He's my favorite lantern. So I'm also a little bummed that he's not one of the people listed. And like guy is like, I find guy kind of grading. So guy is the worst. (laughs) Yeah. But you're also getting a show with four different versions of your favorite characters. So, I mean, absolutely. It seems like you're kind of complaining when there's other people that had their show, their one of their favorite characters in a show, and then it gets canceled (laughs) after one episode airs. Uh, because of budget reasons so yeah hey look the show hasn't even been produced yet so who knows if it's ever gonna see the light of day you know all all i mean is i feel like you know the cw had the perfect opportunity to do a john stewart-esque version of green lantern with diggle uh, and they missed that opportunity completely which is a bummer to me and now they had another opportunity and they're like nah (laughs) so (laughs) it's just like come on guys maybe he'll cameo maybe maybe all right well moving on we got one more news piece before we we uh, take a break and it's going to talk about amc theaters so of course covid has created a complication for the movie industry and most new releases have either gone to digital or pushed until future years Uh, black widow of course has now moved there's talks of james bond 25 being moved to a streaming service well AMC has, uh, for their third quarter, posted a over $900 million loss, over 90% drop in revenue. It's uh, pretty bad news at this point. Uh, AMC is essentially like looking for money. Um, they are maybe going to try and sell, do a, a stock sh- sell to, to try and make up some of that. It's kind of hard to say at this point, but AMC Theaters is not looking good. And if you're one of the people who had a list, you basically have until the beginning of December to decide if you want to reactivate that or not. So just kind will of you guys be reactivating that? No, we will not. No. Okay. So just this is probably a bit of a two business question for for you guys for the for this podcast. But are if they did a stock sale, would you guys be interested in buying their stock while it's probably the lowest that it'll ever be? 
I mean, if I had how money, how much do you believe around, in AMC? Is what I'm saying. If, if I, I gave you a thousand dollars, would you spend that thousand dollars on AMC stock? No. Um, not today, but I think if it got as as low as some of the estimates are saying, I think I probably would. So you because believe that they they'll bounce back from this? I believe that if they don't, then I don't know that any other chain theaters will either, and it might just be independent theaters at that point. Which there, I'm sh- I'm, I'm sure there are some people out there that are cheering to that notion, but I think. AMC is owned by the largest theater company in the entire world. And if they can't survive this, I don't know if any other chain can. That's fair. So that's my perspective, but I'm not going back to the theaters in December. And that makes me hope that bond goes to streaming services and wonder woman pushes, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. Or even better. Wonder woman goes to streaming services so I can watch it. I mean, that would be cool too. No complaints. I need here. It in my eye holes right now. Yeah, no complaints. And Free Guy, I would like Free Guy yes, to go to streaming services too. as well. Yeah. Like, I want to see all of these movies. Like, that's something I hope people understand is like, we, the three of us, like, used to see upwards of like two dozen movies a year. And yeah, easily, easily one to two a month. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Just for the podcast. I just mean, for the podcast. <laughs> Let alone beyond. what we wanted to see yeah, in our own exactly. personal. Yeah. So this has been, you know, this has been hard. We, I, I, Ray and I, the last movie we saw in theaters was was Birds of Prey, I think. Same with me. Right? Was yeah. there anything else that we saw that time of year? No. So it's, you know, it's been slow from that standpoint. But all right. Well, we are, we're way past how much I wanted to talk about news today. So we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will be talking 1996's The Rock, starring Sean Connery and... Nicholas Cage. We'll be right back. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, let's do this. Let's talk Michael Bay's The Rock. So Sean Connery passed away this past week at the age of 90. And we don't get to talk about him a lot on the show. We did coincidentally discuss one of his movies, his last movie earlier this year, the league of extraordinary gentlemen. But other than that, I'm not sure that we've ever covered anything else that he's ever been in. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to cover something. And what better movie than one that also stars Nick cage, Ryan's favorite actor ever. It's true. Top five for sure. (laughs) And yeah, so we're going to talk, the rock uh the rock came out in 1996 budget of about 75 million dollars it made over 330 million worldwide at the box office so a success at least by definitely by 90s standards the film stars an array of people uh which is pretty cool you know you've you've got the main three of course sean connery nick cage and ed harris but there's also a few smaller roles in there john c mcginley and tony todd are two of my personal favorites Anybody else have have a favorite in there that you saw? Michael Bean. There you go. No. No, no, no. Michael Bean. No John Connor. No Hicks. He was not John Connor. You're right. He was Reese. Kyle Reese. I don't know why I thought that. I don't know. Sorry. 
Just a mistake. Wow. Just a Very mistake. upsetting. It is upsetting. I apologize. That's really weird that Rachel just corrected you on a Terminator reference. Mm-hmm. Podcast like over. That's it. <laughs> she's not nearly as familiar, I, f- I thought. But apparently she's <laughs> way more familiar. I have had to overcompensate on movie trivia since I was, you know, a small child because tons of people were like, oh, you like movies? Name 30 facts about them. And... So yeah. Did Derek, did Derek do that to you about Terminator movies? Derek has never been that person. Thank he you. Has he only asked for five person. facts. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Nobody should have to prove that they're a fan of a fictional Okay, guys, we're getting fandom. way off base here. Okay, Fine. Let's, let's reel it back in. Fine. One uh, other, oh. other interesting note about the people behind the movie is the, the score, the music was actually done by two people. But one of them was Hans Zimmer, who has gotten much more popular since The Rock. And basically, The Rock is him workshopping the entire soundtrack to Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, that is all speculation. But yeah, it totally (laughs) sounds like it, doesn't it? (laughs) Throughout the whole thing. Like, now I've got the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack stuck in my head because of this movie. Yeah. Easily. Anyway, now to the real question. Nick Cage best actor ever or worst actor ever oh my god yes <laughs> yeah i mean i mean here's the deal he at least knows what the movie is when <laughs> nobody else does <laughs> what what does that mean right what you, is i the think movie? you know what that means like <laughs> none of us watch this movie we're like this is a good movie I'm pretty sure, right? Like, I know you guys well enough to know that you aren't like, The Rock is a good movie. It was pretty rough, man. It was not good. And so wait, but hang on. Had you seen this before? I have, but it probably not since, like, the 90s. It's been a long time. I, ha- I think I had it on VHS, but I don't ever remember watching it on VHS other than maybe once. And, Ray, this was your first viewing? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean if we're talking specifically Nick Cage, his tone in the movie was the only one that was like, he knew what was going on. (laughs) Like in the real world or like meta, like he knew that he was in a bad movie and he embraced that and just like tried something. And he does this in a lot of his movies. I mean, really, if you go and watch a lot, especially his earlier movies, he tries something he picks an accent or like a person <laughs> that he uh wants to do the or he or like a super old film that he's inspired by or something and he wants to do that in this movie right and even if it doesn't necessarily isn't what the director wants he does it and <laughs> he commits to it the whole time and i mean he did that in this movie and i i was fine with it i mean there were parts of it where the writing for and everybody in the movie was just so bad that he was the only one that made it work because he's used to doing movies with bad scripts. Even at this point in his career, he was used to doing movies with bad scripts. Whereas Sean Connery was like was really trying hard to be straight with his delivery and things, but the the writing was just so bad that he he would stumble halfway through because he just couldn't figure out a way to say this that sounded right and natural. <laughs> Did you guys get that vibe at all? So I actually really enjoyed Connery. I thought uh, he delivered things just a little bit differently than Nick Cage. Instead of going above and beyond in terms of like craziness, he went uh, Shakespearean with everything. And that to me is a whole other side of cheesy, which I love. I love when really bad lines are said with like the gravitas of you know a 70 year old stage actor (laughs) it's just ridiculous so that to me like connery was just amazing he said some of the most ridiculous things and i loved him for it i agree with you that i love when that's done like when they actually i just didn't feel like he pulled it off Oh, okay. For me, it didn't. I, I, and admittedly, I'm not a Sean Connery fan. Ever since I heard some of the stuff that he said in his personal mm-hmm. life, I've never really been a fan of his. And uh, 
you know, I barely, I've seen any of his work, honestly. I've seen this and I've seen Indiana Jones and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and that might be it. I don't, I don't remember yeah. much else from him. So, I mean, uh, I, that might be tainting me. I don't know. Well, separating the work from the artist in this case, I don't think he's a great actor. Like, just looking back at the movies I have seen, Highlander and uh, oh, Indiana Jones too, yeah. and First Night and uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I don't believe he was anything special. I think that because he did Bond so often, he just kind of carried that throughout the rest of his whole career. And that's no way to live. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is my favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. And I love the original three Indiana Jones movies. So I've, I always really liked Sean Connery as a kid growing up. And so those characters, including this movie, kind of stuck with me. This movie came out in 96. I saw it on TV. So that would have been probably 98, I imagine. You know, I was like 11 or 12 when I first saw this movie and I watched it a lot on TV. I think it's a fun movie. It's clearly not written well. And there are Michael Bay-esque things in it that I don't like, like the insane car chase with ex giant explosions oh, yeah, and things like that. that. Right. And, you know, those, those are Michael Bay tropes that I wish weren't in it. But I like a lot of this movie. I think it's silly 90s fun that, that for some reason that decade was able to get away with that ha hasn't really happened before or since in a successful way. But I think it works as a 90s action film. And other than the first Bad Boys is probably Michael Bay's best movie. Armageddon, please. Come on. I love Armageddon, but Armageddon is at least as poorly written and silly as this. Minimum. Uh, yeah, I can see that. It has a better um, cast. I think it's cut a bit better, too. The I... If I am going to be critical of this movie and not just, like, go all in on the silliness, uh, this movie could be cut down by about half an hour like yep. there is yeah. a lot of filler there's a lot of excess that does nothing for the story it does nothing for the action scenes either uh, what my biggest takeaway is why and i mentioned this to derek last night when we were watching it what in the world why did michael bay not get approached to do the fast and furious series cheesy dialogue Things focusing on uh, family and uh, family getting torn apart and then insane car chases and explosions. Like, that's right up his alley. It... I think it's because they actually wanted women in the movie. <laughs> in the Fast and the Furious movie. In the 90s, they didn't, <laughs> like, he did not hire women. He just didn't. It was horrible. Like, uh, in this movie, you could, it was felt. I told yeah. my girlfriend that I was watching it with partway through, I was like, man, how much better would this have been if like one of the teams had some female character or both? Because right now it's just testosterone on testosterone on testosterone. And even a, even like a, just a super badass, it, she doesn't even have to be super feminine chick would, uh, you know, bring this. And I say chick in a loving way. I'm sorry. I'm really bad no, about using that term. I love uh, chick. Uh, um, bringing a woman into that, that would, uh, really have changed up the dynamic in a much better way i th i think really trying to be critical about it having just men everywhere was not a good dynamic there was two women in this movie i think and that was basically it two i can only think of one yeah there was uh connery's uh, daughter oh, and right. nick cage's Sorry. uh girlfriend well yeah. fiance whatever yeah i forgot about the daughter it was incredibly glaring i i felt it too i absolutely hated it it was in it was a bummer it really was and it's never hit me in a movie i don't know if it's just you what were you influencing me or not in either way <laughs> i'm thankful for it but it really like was so obvious in this i've never watched a movie where i was like oh my gosh this is real bad there's no women in this what the heck and the people yeah. trying to appeal to i assume are men because traditionally men are more into action movies so, you know, you think throwing some women in there would probably be a good idea. Right. So I I think this constantly when straight guys bitch a ton 
about women leads, I just, I get so confused, you know, like yeah. what is happening? Are, are you sure you're, you like women? Are you sure? I think some <laughs> of it has to do with our, the generation of the man and when, you know, cause like me and Derek, uh, were, you know, born in the eighties, grew up in the nineties when it was action movies were men and mm -hmm. really muscly men in tight sh or no shirts. And that was like the epitome of action for us. And, you know, I can't speak for Derek, but even now, like I still think the male form is really impressive at its most muscular and seeing an action movie with super muscular dudes is still a super awesome action movie for me. Now I can appreciate awesome women also, but I think that more modern uh, moviegoers are probably have a probably different vision of action movies and what they want from them than at but this least movie what... doesn't have like muscly strong guys you've got ed harris who's you know clearly a strategic military mind but he's a lean dude you've got nicholas cage who's you know a desk jockey and then an 83 year old inmate for me the action was <laughs> mediocre in this movie honestly like and this was something I wanted to bring up uh, since you brought up the car chase and stuff. This seemed like it was Michael Bay, like testing out how he was going to be Michael Bay. Like yes. what was like going to be his thing because yeah. the car chase, he does great car chases. You've seen bad boys. You've seen bad boys too. You've seen a lot of his other movies. He almost always has a really great car chase in the movie, but in this movie, that car chase was bad. It was, uh, it was yeah. boring. It was, you know, the Ferrari, he had a Ferrari, which he has in a lot of his movies you know bad boys has some great chase scenes with ferraris but like it didn't do anything except hit stuff and like fishtail a little bit it wasn't even there for like 80 percent of the chase scene yeah well keep in mind so bad boys was right before this right but they probably filmed at the same not at the same time but like i don't know maybe he filmed this movie first and it took longer in editing or something but i, I mean this like... is a disney film maybe that had something to do with it it may be done. If this one felt more like a film where he's trying to figure out what his style is going to be than Bad Boys. It's, it's, you know, Bad Boys was basically better on every level for me. I mean, pretty much. And I was going to say, I mean, except for the, the ratio of men to women, because in Bad Boys, the first one anyway, there's one woman character of any real substance. And then the rest are really just there as eye candy for the, the men characters, right? And so like, that movie doesn't really do any better in my opinion. And, yeah. You're right. And yeah. he said traditionally a lot of bad press come out about the way he treats women on his sets too. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, Megan Fox came out and said some pretty terrible stuff about him. And he said some pretty terrible stuff about, I think she compared him to Hitler at one mm -hmm. point. Or and called Spielberg. Him yes. Or Spielberg told him to fire her immediately. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It, it's not a great, like, I am not defending Michael Bay at all, but like, I, I can't believe that he's really that bad. So don't say it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. going to defend him or I guess I'm not going to defend her use of comparing him to Hitler, but for real, it's very obvious how he sees women. Michael Bay is perpetuating the women are objects. Yeah, yeah, I see. I, I put kind of put Michael Bay in the same category in terms of director, not like what he does for women or anything like that. And with yeah. Zack Snyder, right? Like they do, they're very specific things that they do extremely well. You know, Zack Snyder, uh, his visuals are unparalleled. Um, he's a shit storyteller, though. Like he's <laughs> unless the story is written for him, like he has a story on paper that's already proven to be good. It's bad. But uh, Michael Bay does really good action usually. But this movie had action that made me want to pull out my phone and browse Facebook because it was so bad. And well, that might that be why he's kind of just been the Transformers guy. I mean, if you look at his directing resume, you know, forget producing for a minute. If you look just his directing resume, since the first Transformers movie in 2007, you know, he's done five Transformers movies and only three other movies. And he produced the Ninja Turtles movies, right? Not directed. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he did Pain and Gain, 13 Hours, and Six Underground, which was a straight-to-Netflix thing that's been pretty well panned. Those are the only non-Transformers movies he's done in the last 13 years. 
And I mean, rightfully so. I think, you know, he peaked in the 90s and the Transformers movies were not popular because of his directing skill. I mean, any of us that have seen those can can understand why those movies were popular and it was not anything to do with him. Well, that might be the key is like, if you look, his first three movies are Bad Boys, The Rock and Armageddon. Those are his three best directed movies. In my opinion. Sure. Do you, do you think something's better? What do you like that he directed? Um, nothing. Oh, okay. So you're just, okay. all right. Well, this is not the Michael Bay podcast. So let's talk a bit more about the movie. To be honest, we... I forgot that he directed this until I saw it pop up on the screen. So fair enough. So, okay. What do you, let's talk story for a minute. Let's talk the plot, right? So the plot here, of course, is that, um covert operations top secret classified operations where military people die are their families are not paid out the fallen soldiers are not given a proper burial or um um you know recognition medals all those types of things the families aren't given the the financial support they're normally supposed to receive and ed harris and his group of soldiers they're all supposed to be navy seals have decided to take it upon themselves to essentially extort a hundred million dollars from the U S government to give to all of those families and then themselves. And they're going to do it using the worst chemical weapon that's ever been known to exist on San yeah. Francisco. Yes. That is the plot. That is the mm-hmm. plot to the movie. You got and it. Good job. <laughs> in order Nailed to it. save the day, a bomb diffuser, Nick cage has to team up with the Alcatraz escaping convict of Sean Connery that was the biggest stretch for me i feel like nick cage was in the wrong role to be completely honest i have zero issue with him being the hero i have a ton of issue with him trying to uh convince me he's a biochemist this entire time really yes why didn't that work for you come on because like, seen too many, she's seen too many uh, other Nick Cage movies where he's the hero, probably, and so it's hard to see him. And I, I had some of the same trouble. But he's been I something think, different. Like I'm speaking for it's you. It's just though, not Please. really believable that he is a biochemist. Like, he, I would have believed it if it was the other way around. If he was a dangerous criminal that escaped Alcatraz and Sean Connery was the biochemist that makes way more sense to me i just believe sean connery to be a smarter person in general than nick cage well to be fair they do portray him as as a smarter character no they portray him as a more seasoned character He's pretty freaking intelligent. Like he is. Nick, Nick Cage but knows. But Nick Cage matches everything that he knows in terms of like book knowledge, not mm-hmm. talking. Yeah, like, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but then also he knows everything about these chemicals on top of that. So Yeah. All right. So there's some, Yeah, yeah like I, I can definitely Rachel, I felt similar. Um I it kinda kinda got over it once he started like growing a pair, for lack of a better term. Like when he started like actually doing things and kind of got more into an action hero type mindset you know where he, he was like the last one left or whatever and had to do this stuff right. it was a little better then but uh yeah it was a little weird at first also like they start right away with like establishing that he's a beatles fan a huge beatles fan and i was like man i can't wait to see where this pays off does it never, never pays off <laughs> except for there's a scene where he's like listening to a record and naked and strumming a guitar yeah, see, the beginning was really good. I actually liked the Beatles. I liked the moment uh, where they're dealing with the, uh, I guess, delivery from the Serbian. Yeah, I liked that and, scene, too. That was a cool scene. And him and his girlfriend discussing everything in their apartment was really cool. And that's when it stopped. See, like, it's, it's speaking of the Beatles thing, it's funny because at the end of the movie, when he does make a music reference, it's to Elton John. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even a Beatles song. Yeah, and it was such a poorly set up. To, it's like, of course, the bad guy's going to stand directly in front of the giant rocket that actually has a rocket loaded into it for, like, a minute and a half he's standing in front of it. 
and the guy is standing next to the launch button. He didn't at any point think, ah, oh, maybe I should just like take a step, one step to either direction, and then I'll be safe. Especially since up until this point, while these soldiers are, are clearly bad guys, none of them are not intelligent. Right. They're all very well-trained, highly trained, <laughs> you know, soldiers. Yeah. Right. They're some of the best we had to offer, right. you know, so that it, it makes it even less believable. You yeah. Know, he's not just some hired thug, you know. <sighs> yeah, you the know. action again was not great in this movie and it was disappointing. When I saw Michael Bay was directing, I thought maybe this is going to be better than I remember it. No. And it was incredibly obvious that at some point in the movie, one of those little green balls was going to be used as a weapon. Oh, that, sure. Yeah. Ever since I saw the first one, I was like, oh, somebody's going to do something with one of these for sure. This is not just going to be like a plot device. No. They're too easily breakable right. and throwable for somebody to be able to not use this as a weapon at some point in the movie. Now, I didn't necessarily pick that somebody was going to be eating one. <laughs> that was intense. That was nasty. Yeah. But that was a good way of doing it because I think sure. everyone guessed that it was going to happen, but the how, I think they were still able to surprise a bit. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Uh, so we never really caught up or said anything about this. Do you guys, did you guys, well, I guess Rachel said she didn't really love Nick Cage in this. Derek, did you, how did you feel about Nick Cage in this? I, I, I like him and Sean Connery together. I think they make a really weird team that somehow works for me in this tone of a film right and it depends how you go into it like i don't take these movies seriously at all and so i have a lot of fun with them i think that they're definitely silly there are some lines in this movie that are just not good lines and lines that are supposed to be super serious you know like there's a, at the very end of the movie right as like the the fighter jets are about to launch you know and what's his name is like you know uh, the got the the god help us line that every action movie like this has to have this was so cheesy like <laughs> is this where tropes were born or i think nicholas cage movies are where tropes are born i don't know <laughs> that was so crazy the may god have mercy on your soul that's, it. that's and, the line uh, thank you oh my god what about the prom queen line did you guys yes okay? what what <laughs> it like, makes me laugh I... Uh, first of all, I actually really liked Nick Cage and Sean Connery together because I think they had really good chemistry. I thought they had no chemistry. I don't know where what? you guys are coming from with this. I got nothing from them. Oh, no, man. they had more chemistry than uh, Nick Cage and his girlfriend. <laughs> That's true. They also had no chemistry. I so, wanted yeah. to see Sean Connery and Nick Cage have sex. That would have been a diff much different movie for sure. It would have, yeah. But I think he could still have done it. Like, Well... But I mean, Nick Cage would have done it for sure. I definitely like <laughs> the two of them so much so that like I'm still a little disappointed that we never got a sequel. Okay. I mean, look, Michael Bay had an idea for a sequel. It just never happened for a lot of reasons, I'm sure. But I would have been interested to see that because I think the two of them on an adventure together was a lot of fun. All right. Especially because in the sequel, you know, they would have um, been on, you know, for sure on the same side, you know? Yeah. I thought it would have been cute. <laughs> okay. We I, love I, you, Derek. I, I would have liked it. Um, so what did you guys think of Ed Harris and his character throughout the movie? Because, you know, he's the big bad who has a change of heart and chooses not to be the big bad. Ed Harris is always great. Like, I don't know. I don't know a lot about him as an actor, but a lot of them, basically all the movies I think that I can, I've seen him in, he's been a good part of it. Like he's, he's, I can't really ever think of a performance where I could complain about him, but um, yeah, I mean, it was at the beginning, it was like, okay, so he's going to get the money for the soldiers families by killing like a whole bunch of innocent people that didn't do anything. And now they're going to die. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and and then that was he he wasn't planning on doing it the whole time, and so uh, you know that made more sense to me that he because he's supposed to be a smart tactician and everything else, and he just didn't bank on them calling his bluff, and uh, you know I, it was fine. Ed Harris was good, but the the character I don't know it was better than most of the other characters in the movie, I guess, but still not great. 
Ed Harris serves a purpose in every movie he's in, and it's the exact same purpose, to be kind of a hard-ass, kind of the straight man. Uh, He is supposed to blend in. Nobody remembers Ed Harris once you, like, turn off the movie, unfortunately. He doesn't stick out as a memorable part of things he's just he's there and he serves his purpose and he does it really well but he's just not there to you know stick out i guess yeah that's that's fair and you know i think the problem with his character's arc if that's what you can call it in this is if it was really a bluff the whole time and he really had no intentions of killing 70-ish thousand civilians, then why did he enlist people who clearly had no idea that this was a bluff? Also, why did he tell them in the very beginning that he was at Alcatraz? He told the government that. This whole movie could have been much different if he just was like, hey guys, I'm at Alcatraz. They would have no idea where he's at. Absolutely. He could have lied and said he was at anywhere. Yeah. And they, they would have gone there instead and wasted all this time. And yeah. it's like he wanted his guys to die. Well, he wanted the recognition. I think that's the key is he wanted it on display, you know, and he wanted to prove that he could cause the damage that they were claiming. Cause if he doesn't say where he is, maybe they won't take him seriously as being able to hit San Francisco. Right. So yeah, like he launches a missile that but he doesn't want to do that right that's the that's where the problem comes in is that the whole thing is a bluff and that kind of makes the rest of it confusing you know because like these guys that he picked like the major aside the rest of these guys are like bad dudes these are people who like wanted to be mercenaries at the first chance they could possibly get well at least that's how they're played there's two sets there's you know, the ones that include Ed Harris and John C. McGinley, and they're just trying to help out vets' families. And then there's the Tony Todd group of people who are, uh, who become the mercenaries. And uh, unfortunately, more of the Tony Todd group of people end up, you know, lasting longer. Yeah, but both groups just murder a bunch of active military people. Oh, they do. Yeah, they're terrible people. Yeah. You know, so like it's hard for me to even see any difference between any of them. I mean, at least like Ed Ed Harris doesn't pull a trigger until the standoff towards the end of the movie. Up until that mm-hmm. point, he hasn't shot a single person, right? Like directly. He's of course called all of the orders, almost all of the orders. I guess the the big fight in the bathroom he didn't give permission to fire but you know everybody else is like looking for an opportunity to kill somebody yeah you know like even john c mcginley's character doesn't seem to hesitate at an opportunity to kill people right no you're you're definitely right in the beginning when uh nick cage's character finds out his girlfriend is pregnant and then mid-sex he finds out that uh he's going to Los Angeles or wherever the fuck this thing took place. San Francisco. Uh, yeah, San Francisco, that one. They're all the same. It's all California. Anyway. <laughs> uh, he's like, why don't you come? You can order champagne. And he's talking about like, <laughs> like you're totally pregnant, but hey, <laughs> order a bunch of champagne that you I can't drink. I said that too. Yeah, yeah, I didn't notice that, but my girlfriend brought it up and I thought that was pretty funny. No. No, it was definitely, it was okay. definitely funny. It's like, come on, man. Like you're, you're supposed to be this genius. Yeah. That was a weird sex scene. Kind of out of place, really. Like they just found out that she's pregnant and now they're just like, let's bang one out. Yeah. That's that scene is it's weird. Their whole relationship is weird. Like you said earlier, they have like no chemistry and it just yeah. it doesn't really work for me at all. You know? But when all the scenes where she's like in with the government and they're waiting to find out if he's alive, it's I'm like, I, I don't really care because she's she doesn't seem to really care that much. And like, so there's no gravity in any of these scenes. So why is she hugging them? 
Yeah, that was weird too. Well, that that's got to be a Michael Bay thing, right? Because she's you know the the sad poor woman who doesn't you know hopes her man isn't dead or some nonsense, you know. Yeah, I guess. Because like I we don't know anything about her. Nope. Other than she's pregnant. she's pregnant, she can carry a baby and have sex with Nick Cage. <laughs> well, can you say that, Ryan? Uh, I cannot, unfortunately. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. It's good There's to have still time. Yeah. So, all right. What what else is there to touch on? Is there anything else in this movie you think is worth mentioning, either good or bad? Either way is fine. Um. So once you get to, uh, once you get past the shower scene, the deaths become absolutely ridiculous and over the top and it's it's so bad that it's great like it goes above and beyond and i love that that's good okay like tony todd's death tony todd john c (laughs) mcginley's um the showdown between the five guys Mm. yeah gotcha I, i i have a complaint yeah um yeah so so early on in the movie when they're trying to get on onto the island and all this other stuff like every five seconds they cut to the fbi director who's like damn it i knew it he ran talking about like sean connery and then oh nope sean connery is still there and it's like over and over again to the point of it just being annoying yeah he's super one-dimensional like his entire character just exists Mm -hmm. to hate sean connery's character yeah and there's there's nothing to it there's there's no building of that there's no exploring it it's just this dude kept sean connery in jail for a really long time and he's pissy that he's not in jail right now well the first like hour and 10 minutes of this movie is like 99 percent exposition most of it, it's yeah. so bad and the, the movie is called the rock and you don't even really see the rock or have any action on the rock until over an hour into the movie yeah uh, you you see this the like special forces team or whatever go in there but beyond that they don't even like start heading to alcatraz for over an hour yeah it's <laughs> at, not at much happens point, i hit like i hit the button to see how far into the movie we were and i was like we're, we're still not at the rock yet what is this <laughs> i want my money back i do like the balcony scene though after he gets his haircut yeah where he throws yeah, the they... fbi director off the side the haircut scene and right after it is really good. It's like really that. funny. I think that the the hairdresser was like the highlight of the movie, really. He <laughs> was he's just like, I just want you to be happy with your hair. That was a dude that just took pride in his job. It was really enthusiastic about doing the best job he could. And I don't know that I can say that about any other actor in this movie. But did he even get an answer, the poor guy? No. Did not. He, did that- Sean Connery like the hair? That actor did end up getting his own series after Did he? Yes. Thank God. He deserved it. Like a series like about The Rock or... Yeah, it was a continuation of his character from The Rock. (laughs) No, it was not. That would have been fantastic, though. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. All right. Well, I think that's probably all there is to say about The Rock at this point. You know, I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's amazing. I think it's just kind of fun to watch. Uh, I like the the Sean Connery and Nick Cage characters. Any final thoughts from you guys? Uh, I'm glad Nick Cage was in this. Otherwise, I would have probably been on my phone more. Well, I picked it because Nick Cage was in it just for you. It's kind of sad that he's playing second fiddle to Sean Connery. But, you know, he kind of steals it. I mean, he's in the movie a lot more than Sean Connery is. Yeah, but Sean Connery's like supposed to be this awesome badass like super thing and and Nick Cage is like this bumbling scientist. So, I don't know. He's not the action star of the movie. Not till the end. I mean, he definitely comes into his own. He picks it up later, yeah. I mean, come on, when he sh- when he sh- like fights Captain Fry, like it's a pretty good sequence. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's one of the better ones in the movie. I think so. Ray, any final thoughts? No, not really. Okay. Not really at all. Like I, I tried She'll to say. She'll never think the... about it again after after this podcast is over. That's probably very true. Uh, I said all the things that I was positive with, so I 
when I just sit there and be like, I'm tired of you guys always making me watch shitty films. <laughs> hey, wow. Surf Ninjas wasn't shitty. Mm. Wow. Wow. Leslie Nielsen was great in it. We have all picked movies to talk about on this show that aren't good. No, you're totally right. I just let's, like giving you shit. Let's be fair. All right. Well, then that's going to be it for us this week. We will, of course, be back next week. And next week, we're talking about. Uh, oh, right. We're doing Jonah Hex, the DC film Jonah Hex, which is available on HBO Max to stream. Ray, do you want to explain to people why we're going to be discussing Jonah Hex? All right. We hate ourselves. <laughs> so, if you have not uh, joined our Screen Heroes podcast forum on Facebook, it's our little group. Uh, we are. We've been doing brackets all year round just to kind of get through COVID and be uh, kind of fun and productive each day. Well, our current one is the best DC casting. It's for live action movies that hit theaters, sponsor, produced by DC and Warner Brothers. So it'll include all the DCEU, but it also includes some of the more ridiculous ones like Jonah Hex, like Catwoman and uh v for vendetta watchmen steel that kind of thing uh d- of course starting out a bracket always has kind of your your worst against your best so uh jonah hex will be in the bracket probably next week so uh yeah this will be commemorating it just a bit awesome Sweet sounds good well join our group make sure you join us screen heroes podcast forum on uh on facebook you can join us screen heroes podcast forum and vote and all that goodness and you can join us live tuesday nights at 9 p.m eastern 8 central and chat with us during the show thank you to those of you who did join us tonight we appreciate your comments in chat so thank you for that Otherwise, we are the Screen Heroes Podcast on the Heroes Podcast Network. You can find us at Screen Heroes Pod on Twitter or heroespodcast.com. The show is available on your podcast app of choice, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and more. You can find Ryan at Buster Props. Ray is at Siren Ray, and I am at the Star Trek Dude. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next week. Woo! Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.